0: okay so i am in a room um run by my favorite uh, hotel chain uh i am in ohio this weekend and i am dying to get a podcast done uh it's been been forever uh since i released the last new podcast episode one of season two I've just been really busy and, and and so has the uh the wife uh, and, and we plan to talk uh, about books and, and discuss a few other things as opposed to having an interview um, for that episode, uh, I've al- already recorded the, the next two chapters of the spook Who sat by the door, and I'm really dying to get those out to my buddy as well. So, um, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep talking here. Basically, I'm, I'm trying to test this, uh, this new mic that I picked up that allows me to, to record episodes out on the road. So, um, as opposed to lugging down, uh, lugging around rather the two big mics I own, uh, which I've done in the past. So yeah, this should uh, be sufficient, sufficient to uh, test the device, and we'll get right into this brief episode intended to bring you the next two chapters of The Spook Who Sat By The Door. See you after the break.
1: Hey, it's in a book.
0: I am Lawrence Rouse, your host. I am coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are listening to It's In A Book. We are the official podcast of the BFBCR. Uh, We are a fortnightly show devoted to books, and uh, culture, and uh, uh, essentially just, uh, whatever comes up, uh, in our book club and, uh, in the, in the daily lives of, uh, of our members, uh, for, for right now that that's mostly mine. Um, but, uh, we, we will be, uh, you know, sampling the offerings of, of, uh, each and every one of the guys at some point. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, right now we are in the midst of a 10 episode uh sweep here covering uh the wonderful book by Sam Greenlee, the Spook Who Sat by the Door. Uh we, we started this uh season two uh devoted to those ten episodes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, so right now we're right on schedule uh, with, with the, the fortnightly plan. Um, if it's possible, we'll bring you the next episode even even sooner than that, but uh, work is, is really busy right now, as you'll see uh, as you listen to the brief podcast we've prepared for you uh, before getting into the next two chapters of The Spook Who Sat by The Door. Um, I'm not going to belabor the point long. Um, had a, a funny little uh, talk with, with my wife the other night in bed um with regard to the show and, and very briefly we, we touched on the spook sat by the door but uh i, I found it amusing uh, if, if nothing else um and uh, i hope you'll enjoy it as well uh so yeah right after that we're just gonna let the the third chapter of the spook sat by the door uh play out for you um and uh if you head out to the website you can of course find chapters uh, one through four now consecutively uh, placed for your listening enjoyment. Um, thanks for coming back to uh, to see what we have to offer this fortnight. It's in a book. See you after the break. Okay, so you know that thing with the um, fortune cookies where it's like you just say your fortune cookie thing and... Then at the end you say in bed. Yeah. So Okay, right. Oh all right, you're you're early. You're early. That was oh, that was sorry. supposed to be just
1: me. So, um, for the podcast I have been trying to chase my wife down to Talk about books, uh, talk about podcasts, talk
0: about book clubs. <laughs> You're early again. Um, uh, and it just hasn't been working out. Like She's started new stuff. She's super busy. I have something going on at work right now. I'm super busy. The kids are busy. Even Francis is busy. He's, he's here right now.
2: Hey, Francis. Oh, my
0: God. You're supposed to stay in bed. Oh. He's here right now. In bed. Yes. So, anyway, we're in bed. And uh, in keeping with the opening, with the lead for this podcast, um, we are taking advantage of this opportunity both to get some uh, some content for the podcast, uh, so that I can finally get my good friend uh, Francis. Don't put your head there. Um, the Especially next, in bed, <laughs> The next couple of uh, the next couple of chapters of the spook who sat by the door. And uh, we're testing out the new USB mic. In bed. Yes. So, um, yeah. Uh, So we're just going to talk for a few minutes. Uh, We can see how the mic does. Um, This was supposed to be a phone call um, after Kristen repeatedly stood me up for the uh, talk we were going to have just downstairs in in the studio. Um, But, yeah, so now we're in bed, and we're talking about... The podcast and uh the spook who sat by the door which Kristen has never read francis if you keep putting your head on that microphone um so yeah i bet that's gonna make some weird artifacts um so yeah babe um when's your next book club meeting
2: my next book club meeting is october 4th
0: okay october 4th um Mine is coming up here really soon, uh, I think it's like Monday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we are discussing a great book, um, River of Doubt, it's about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, his, his trip down the Amazon post his, uh, his crushing uh, electoral defeat in, in the last election that he, he ran in,
1: he lost, uh, of course, um, and- Sounds it, riveting. Haha, <laughs> you don't seem convinced, but it actually is very riveting. Um, it's, uh, it's a good book. I'm,
0: I'm glad uh, Robert selected it. Um, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, what are you reading for a book club right now?
2: We're reading a book called Bad Blood. It's about Elizabeth Holmes, the uh, founder of Theranos, which was the big Silicon Valley company that uh, was all fake the whole time. Mm. She got busted. So, right. Um, it's really good, and I'm like, 30 pages from the ending right. and I'm thinking about starting another book now just because I'm ready to move on. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Or I, do you wait till you're absolutely finished?
0: I never wait. I'm, I'm reading like four books right now. Hey, I'm going to change the settings on this mic because, so you guys, you're probably going to hear like some weird noise or whatever. I think I've, I've had it so far on the uh, condenser setting where it's it, it's pointed at the sound that it intends to hear. Now I'm going to open
1: it up so it might get loud roomy echoey type thing right now but I, I really wasn't liking the levels that I was seeing maybe I switched it the other way around um but uh yeah no I I like to read multiple things at once as you know I'm reading uh a ton of stuff right now um so yeah I think you should dive right into uh, another book what what book would you dive into for you um, to do so that's a good
2: question I was thinking about diving into the house of sand and
1: fog haven't read it
2: yeah, I haven't either. But I know about it because it was a movie.
1: Okay, okay. Is that, is, what's his name in it? The guy? Um,
2: his last name, Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Yeah, yeah. And Jennifer Connolly. He's for landlord. Right. He tries to evict her.
1: Okay. Like that. Right, um, right.
2: And I also have one that my friend Sean gave me. I can't remember what it's called right really.
1: now. Right, right. But it's a thriller. It's a thriller. Ooh, a thriller. Yeah,
2: but no one hurts. A thriller really with substance,
1: right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, She's she Sean really is. Trash. Yes, no, she's a book person. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I saw an article in the Atlantic about that, about like lifelong readers and like what turns people into them. Right. Yeah, not reading
2: trash.
1: Yeah, yeah. So listen, the but levels.
2: Trash. We should talk about that. Should
1: times. we? I I mean
2: we should have a whole episode about literary
1: about drag- trashy liter yeah. literature. Mm-hmm. Like uh what's what's the one? Um a million little pieces?
2: No, yeah, I'm thinking like well, I don't
1: wanna offend people, but I'm thinking like Jody sure, Bookow. Because- Ooh, stop. Ooh I can't believe you went there. <laughs> you know what, we're we're gonna end this on that note. First of all the levels are looking kinda weird, so I think I'm gonna be doing a lot of editing here. And uh second of all, I uh, we're I think in he, bed. I think you kind of crossed a the line there with uh, Jodie Picot in, in bed.
2: You know what? We should have an episode because I can give you a lot of valid reasons. Excuse me to not like Jodie Picot or her message.
1: Ooh, stop! We're we're in bed, Kissy. Yeah,
2: we don't <laughs> want to bring Jody into the bed with us. Do
1: we? Yeah, no, no, she's definitely not. A good enough writer to be in Ooh. bed. Ooh. All right. Um, we're getting out of right, here. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love you.
2: Love you too.
1: All right. Good night.
0: Chapter three. The director of the school reported to the general on the new group. General? I'm afraid that there is at least one who might stick it. I thought you told me only two weeks ago that there was hardly a chance that any of that group would last. That's correct, General. Even with the facts on paper before me as I made the report, I somehow forgot that the man existed. He has a way of fading into the background. You can't remember his face or what he looks like or what he has said even minutes after you've spoken to him. But the records speak for themselves. He leads the class in everything, and his marks are above average, although not by much, for our regular classes. Who is the man? His name is Freeman, sir. Is that the one who had the altercation with Calhoun? Yes, sir. And Sue reports that he could have killed Calhoun. Sue thinks him one of the finest natural judoists of his experience. But Calhoun is rated one of the best men we have in hand-to-hand combat. That's true, General. But in all honesty, to Calhoun, this man has had several years of experience as a judoist. He has fought in the Midwest Regional Championships for the last three years, qualifying for the national finals, but refusing the trip because of work commitments. Our physical instructor considers him one of the finest natural athletes he has ever seen. True, they do make good athletes. Great animal grace and reflexes. I'm disappointed, however, in Calhoun. He should have never lost his head. Challenged the man. Sue indicates there was no provocation. He's just too dedicated to the agency. Can't stand the idea of standards being lowered. Can't say I disagree with them. Well, he has a chance to prove himself in Yemen. The general picked up some papers from his desk in dismissal. When the director of the school had almost reached the door, the general lifted his head. This man Freeman, if he survives this group, is to go into the incoming class. He might do well among his own people, but competing with whites might be another cup of tea. He is not to be treated unfairly, but he is not to be given any advantage either. The general motioned the director back to the chair. What kind of man would you say he is? Well... Slow-witted, a plotter, he stutters five hours a day, seven days a week. Only in athletics does he seem to do things naturally. Physically, he could be expected to react instantly and efficiently, but in a mental crisis, I don't know. I thought as much. Then there is no question of his going into the field. Even if he does survive the group, we cannot subject the lives of other agents in the field to his deficiencies. We will find something for him here in headquarters. Thank you. That'll be all. Keep me posted on this group. Two weeks before the scheduled ending of the training, Freeman was alone. He watched the last of the group leave. No one bothered to say goodbye. Freeman had no friends among them, and his continued presence in the camp was an insult. He settled himself in front of the television set and pressed the remote control button and watched the white fantasy world in full color. Freeman finished the course and was congratulated in a small ceremony in the director's office. There were to be three weeks before the new group arrived and he elected to remain in the camp except for a few days leave. He drove to an all-Negro housing development just across the Anacostia River and applied for a one-bedroom apartment. He then drove to New York and checked into the Hotel Teresa in Harlem. He made the rounds of the Harlem bars the first evening before heading downtown to the Jazz Joints. His Robert Hall suit and two pointy shoes were in the hotel closet his gold-edged tooth-cap in a plastic container in the bathroom, a plain one replacing it. He wore black-rimmed glasses of plain glass, quarter van bluchers, a button-down shirt of English Oxford, and a dark sharkskin suit from J. Press. He saw Thelonious Monk at the Five Spot, the band with Johnny Griffin, Charlie Mingus at the Village Gate, He saw Threepenny Opera in the Village and Five Finger Exercise, The Night of the Iguana and I Can Get It For You Wholesale, on Broadway. He visited the newly opened Guggenheim and decided that Wright had goofed, but he enjoyed the Kandinskys. He visited the galleries on 57th Street and the Museum of Modern Art. His second night, he found a six-foot compatible whore who knew the night clerk at his hotel. He tipped the night clerk and the bellboy on duty and each night after that he would meet her in the bar between 2 and 3 and they would spend the night in his hotel room. He purchased 16 books but deferred delivery until further notice. The CIA Freeman would not have read those books. Freeman left his suit, shoes, shirt tie and tooth cap in a bag with instructions that they be delivered to the storage company that stored the rest of his clothing, records, books, and paintings that had no business in his new existence. He would establish a New York base later. He had pondered the danger of leading a double life and decided that the strain of squaredom would have to be eased somehow from time to time. The few days in New York doing the simple things he had done had convinced him now more than ever that this was important. He might be the CIA Tom in Washington, but for a few days elsewhere, he would have to become Freeman again. He didn't think that even if he ran into his CIA colleagues in New York, identification would be a danger, niggers all look alike to whites anyway, and no one would connect the New York Freeman, with the Freeman who would pioneer integration in one of the most powerful governmental institutions in the United States. He left early Sunday morning, the top of the car down. He put the Morgan onto the New Jersey Turnpike and headed south for the nation's capital. The Morgan would have to go, he decided. It didn't fit his painstakingly created image. He was sorry about that as he listened to the exhaust note over the roar of the wind and the car radio, but a Ford or Chevrolet would be better, perhaps even an Oldsmobile or a Buick. He would be expected to own a car a bit outside his means, a bit more expensive and flashy than those of his peers at the agency. It was not difficult to conform to the image Whites desired since they did most of the work. They saw in most Negroes exactly what they wanted to see, one need only impressionistically support the stereotype. Whites were fools and one had constantly to fight in order not to underestimate their power and danger, because a powerful and dangerous fool is not to be underestimated. Add the elements of hypocrisy and fear and one had an extremely volatile combination. It was a combination that could easily blow the country, even the world, apart. In the army, Freeman had learned to respect, but not fear, the potential danger of explosives. Rather, he had learned how to use them. He did not, as did the African diplomats, have difficulty with lunch on Highway 1 because he did not bother to try to get a meal in the greasy spoons and truck spots that dotted the highway like cancerous growths of chrome and neon. He stopped along the highway and ate a lunch he had packed the night before from a delicatessen. A premixed martini over the rocks from a thermos, a cold chicken with potato salad, a mixed salad with oil and vinegar dressing, and a small bottle of Chablis, which he had chilled in the cracked ice of the cooler. Finished, he discarded the ice, repacked the container, and lay back on the army blanket he had spread under a tree and slept for an hour. He reached Washington just ahead of the incoming weekend traffic and was in camp in time to shower and catch Ed Sullivan on television after a light dinner in the camp dining room. An agent as Freeman had anticipated, had checked his movements in New York, checking routinely at the hotel, and questioning the whore with whom Freeman had slept. They would not find much, since Freeman knew that the people with whom he had talked would have seen nothing out of the ordinary in either his dress or his behavior. Besides, Harlem Negroes, particularly hotel employees and prostitutes, seldom tell white men very much, especially those who look and act like cops, regardless of what they claim to be. Free of classes, Freeman increased his personal study and was able to spend each day working with Sue on the mat. He added karate to his repertoire of judo and jujitsu and spent time as well on the range, firing pistols, rifles and shotguns, as well as his more favored automatic weapons. Freeman spent each weekend in Washington and became convinced that it is one of the squarest towns in the world. Within walking distance of the immaculate white neoclassical center lie some of the worst ghetto slums in the United States. The bigots on Capitol Hill need look no further than a few hundred yards to convince themselves of the inherent inferiority of Negroes, and controlling the capital like a colonial fiefdom they can ensure that things will not change racially. He found a whore on U Street and would spend time with her each weekend, in a bed in a hotel in the ghetto. She was questioned as well. Look, honey... What kind of cop you say you were? I'm not a police officer. You look like a cop to me, baby. How come you asking me stuff about this cat? He in trouble? He's a nice John. What make you think I'm going to tell you anything? I'm not a policeman, but I do have police friends. Like that, huh? I wonder when you start leaning on me. You o never know different, no matter how you look. And you college cats with the smiles and pink baby faces the worst. Okay, what do you want to know? He slipped her a twenty. She picked it up from the table, never taking her eyes off his face. Have you ever known him to take dope? Marijuana? Heroin? No, he don't even smoke much. After he eats. After we done turned a trick, maybe three or four cigarettes all the time we together. He ain't no junkie, baby. Does he have a tendency to boast? Brag? Him? No. He don't talk about himself at all. I thought he was a baseball player, even football. Although he's a little bit small for that, but he could be. He ain't nothing but muscle and brick. If he got any fat on him, I ain't found it. Does he gamble? No. One night I took him up to a place. Cat owed me some bread and I had to collect. Little poker, little craps. He just watched, and when we threw, we leave. Tell you something about that man, though. People don't give him no shit. He moved quiet, don't say nothing. But i seen some bad cats move around him. This cat owed me the bread. He don't want to pay it. I don't tell him nothing about it. What you say his name, Freeman? I don't say nothing about him being my man. I just took him there before we make it to the hotel. And maybe he wants some action. I get a cut. The cat owed me started to get a little off the wall about the bread. Then he looked at Freeman. He just standing there watching the crap game quiet ain't bothering nobody but this cat owes me the bread look at him and then look at me and baby he give me the bread and that cat one of the baddest men in dc he make two of freemen but he don't want no part of him he ain't my man and it wasn't a scene but i thought about it and if i had trouble that night he'd be in it and he ain't romantic about chicks on the block never comes on like a social worker how a nice girl like you get into this shit Let me take you out of it, baby. None of that shit. I'm a whore, and he knows it, but he treats me like a queen. I think he put me on for a long time, and then I get to like it. He can put me on as long as he wants. I dig the way he treats me. I'm a whore. He knows it. I know it. But when I'm with him, he makes me feel like a queen. What about his sexual habits? Anything, well, unusual? She looked at him through narrowed eyes. So that's your scene? Well, baby, 20 bills ain't enough for no freaks. Come again. A little more bread, dig? I know some chicks don't deal in nothing but freakish tricks, but that ain't my scene. And don't start no shit about the man. I ain't on junk, and I can always get my hat and make it to Baltimore, dig? He gave her another 20, blushed furiously, and damned the woman for sensing what no one else knew. That he enjoyed this part of his job, to his shame. Nothing fancy, little straight up and down, mostly. Blowjobs ain't his scene. He don't mind a little head now and then, but before the deal goes down, he wants to make it straight. No way out positions or jazz, whips and wet towels, no gimmicks. He just likes to screw, baby. Now, don't be disappointed. Now, I could tell you about some real freaks, I got a trick, a white boy like you come down here once a week just to listen, get his cookies every time. You want to hear some scenes, honey? Or maybe you want me to get a show together, straight, gay, or both. Anything you want, baby. They were sitting in the back booth of a long, narrow, and very dark bar on U Street. She stroked his thigh and confirmed his excitement. This was the easiest trick she had in a week. She wondered how much she could milk him for. Would you say that he might have homosexual tendencies? She threw her pretty black head back and laughed. Him? Man, you wasting your time there. He wouldn't make that scene for nothing. If you got a thing for him, look someplace else. Shit, I ought to know what I'm talking about. I make it that way myself and it takes one to know one. Anybody could turn me straight. It could be him. I mean, he don't need no fake scenes and he just wants a good professional job But sometimes he really turns me on and I ain't had no thing for a man in years No, baby, he ain't gay But if that's your scene, I know somebody you might dig She continued to stroke his thigh Well, baby, I could do things for you She leaned over whispering in his ear and told him in detail what she could do. He backed into the corner of the booth, but continued to listen. Suddenly, he gripped her thigh with one hand and groaned. She moved away, looked at him in contempt, and then she lit a cigarette. He lay back against the corner of the booth until the color returned to his face, a thin film of perspiration on it. She crossed her legs and moved her foot in time to "Sunny Stitt on the jukebox. She liked this joint. They had good sounds here. He sat up and wiped his face with a handkerchief, looking around nervously. No one was paying the slightest attention to the booth. She motioned toward the back of the bar. The John back there. He started to slide across the bench of the booth. You forgetting something, honey? She held out her hand. He quickly reached into his pocket and stuffed crumpled bills into her hand. She looked at them, nodded, and moved from the booth to let him pass. She smoothed her red dress, thinking that his grip on her thigh might leave a bruise. She walked to the bar and ordered a drink, fixed her hair in the mirror, and straightened her red dress on her shoulders. She had never worn red before. She had been told all her life that she could not because she was too black. But Freeman had told her that she should wear it because she was a Dahomey queen. She had gone to the library to find out what he had meant because he wouldn't explain and asked for the book he had written down for her. She had found that he was talking about Africa and at first had been angry. But there was the picture of a woman in the book that had looked enough like herself to startle her, hair kinky and short-cropped with big earrings in her ears. She had taken the book out of the library and painfully read it in its entirety. Then she bought a red dress and later several others when she found the tricks liked it, but mostly because Freeman liked her in red and said so. She wore big round and oval earrings like the queen in the picture, but she could not bring herself to wear her hair short and kinky. But sometimes she would look at the picture and see herself there, and for the first time in her life, she began to think that she might be beautiful, as he had said. She returned to the booth and sipped her new drink. The trick returned from the john, all policeman-like and white man strong. He thanked her for her information and cautioned her not to say anything to Freeman. He could not look her in the eye. She blew smoke into his face, and he left. She would need no more tricks that night, and she had done better than for a full weekend with the paddy boy. She walked to the phone booth and called her chick. Honey, got a scene workin'. I won't be able to make it tonight. Big bread. See you tomorrow, huh? Of course I miss you. Be cool, baby. Mama will make it up tomorrow. Bye now. She walked out into U Street and took a cab to a small efficiency apartment that she kept for herself. Even her woman did not know of his existence, and she used it when she wanted to be alone. She wanted to be alone tonight and to think about Freeman. She might invite him to her apartment the coming weekend instead of making their usual hotel routine. Men were not her scene, she knew, but she liked that man. She knew soon after she entered the apartment that she would invite him there. Hey, that's all folks. Uh. That is the end of Season 2, Episode 2, uh, Chapter 3 of The Spook Who Sat By The Door. Remember that Chapter 4 is now on the web at our website, uh, www.bfbcir.com. Uh, it was a pleasure to bring you another two chapters. Uh, another two will be on the way as quickly as possible. Um, thanks for, for showing up to, to listen to uh, thanks to my beautiful wife, Kristen, for uh, agreeing to have a, a little conversation with me in bed, and uh, thanks to Francis, our, our gorgeous uh, cocker spaniel, for rubbing against the microphone as often as he could uh, in an attempt to, to sabotage our, our doings uh, there in bed. So uh, yeah, um, we'll see you back here as soon as possible for chapters five and six of the spook who sat by the door um in keeping with the brevity of this uh of this episode i'm just gonna say goodbye it's in a book
3: E ah. Alright, J.I.D. and uh, Y'all niggas need to lay off the drugs Some of y'all need to lay off the dope My niggas getting it straight off the boat Pure cup, put it straight to your nose I ain't nosy but I know what I know Mr. Know-it-all, oh here you go I'm the gold, I never go with the flow Throwing shots, boys blow for a blow I'm the nigga kick the dough with the dough I'm the nigga fuck the hoe with the hoe I'm the nigga lit the blunt with the blunt I'ma get it cause I want what I want I'ma say the shit again and again I'ma go and put the shit to an end I'm the six with the pencil or pen Hit the blunt and mix the hand with the weight. I'ma go ahead and lay off the zand, I'ma fall back, sippin' the lean I gotta make sure my vision is clear. Oh God, no, it's not what it has seen. Six, five, four, one, two, three, four, five, so you know me. You don't want smoke, so what it's gonna be. Gotta watch what you say when you looking at me. Looking at God, looking for leaders, looking for kings. Look at the pain in your eyes, nigga. Look who we been. Look at our wins, look at our sins, and look at our skin. I been on no frenzy, been trying to give me a biz. And your fuzzy ass lens won't fuck up the ends. Oh God, no, where are my friends? Lord forgive me, yeah, I need to repent. Mind blurred, need to lay off the drugs. Yeah, God, they ain't praying enough. Niggas down, we ain't saying enough. Cops, fire, stockpiling, rock, wallet, tell my life. Little niggas laugh the stuff. Ronald Reagan, I can't thank him enough. Now I'm playing nigga racist. Fuck. Told so my nigga if he left his pack. Take my dick in the inevitable. For so fuck whatever happened, fucking cinematic. Sins of the father, I'm a fucking addict. Understand addiction, so I'm sympathetic. But I know, I know, I know that I gotta be strong. I ain't trying to be where I don't be love Lil' Sarah sipping out of a phone. Little powder put the pot in the bone. I ain't tripping, I ain't saying it's wrong. But it's some other shit we could be on. Stop
1: getting